What's up, Whisper Nation? Welcome in to another live show with the Fantasy Whispers. I'm Big Travi, and today we're going to talk the NFC East. That means the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the Philadelphia Eagles, and of course, the New York football giants. We're going to talk about all those fantasy implications, some of the offseason moves, and, and what we can do to project this division for you and your fantasy, uh, you and your fantasy rosters this season right here on the Fantasy Whispers. Right here. Right on. Well, welcome in, Whisper Nation. Welcome in, Josh Hudson from the Club Fantasy FFL. We got Johnny Game Time Hicks on the other mic there. But if you're seeing all of us and you're, and you're seeing our beautiful faces, please go ahead and share this on whatever stream platform you're on. It helps us with the algorithms, helps us grow the, grow the channel so we can chase this dream. Keep putting out that content. If you're brand new to the Fantasy Whispers, welcome. You can head on over to thefantasywhispers.com. We got all of our links over there, and we're on every podcast platform you can think of. Help us out by following us over on YouTube and join us on all these live streams. But none of the mumbo jump or all of the mumbo jumbo out of the way. We got to talk now with Josh Hudson, our, our special guest this week from Club Fantasy FFL. What's going on, Josh? Good, man. I just realized my laundry basket's in the camera right now, so I'm just going to move that really quick. <laughs> Wait. Oh, I, I, well, no, I'm, look, oh, I it's thought a tip that was, I thought that was the, I thought that was just the NFC East teams right there. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, um, quite the metaphor really yeah so. well I, you know what i was gonna yeah. say is like i think it's just like a philly fan to bring your dirty laundry right on camera with you <laughs> yeah. um so i appreciate you know that uh and we'll get some of those takes when it's we get over to philly at santa claus Come on, <laughs> yeah what we do. the only stadium with a jail in it okay. uh that's how we roll now over there in philly Love so how, how you doing though man uh, i know you've been working hard we were talking about off yes. camera what's going Extremely on with you guys exhausted, but uh full of research mode that's uh it's off season man it's what we do we we pump out content and just like you guys we're doing the same thing over with club fantasy with uh joe who i know you guys have had on the show ryan weiss who's been a frequent guest of yours so um yeah man just gearing up and uh ready to rock and roll and i'm actually kind of happy that i have at least three of the teams fully projected out that we're talking about today yeah, so I mean, there's sometimes I, I have like some actual like stat projections that I can talk about, too. So. Yeah, sometimes the industry works out where you can actually kind of it things, you know, align. The universe is aligning for you. It really does. Really Johnny, does. I would ask how you're doing, but I don't know if Whisper Nation cares or I care that much. So we got a guest on. No, I'm just kidding. How's it going, Johnny? What are you doing over there? Oh, I'm fantastic. I mean, we got Josh on the show. I'm excited for this, you know, breakdown here. Uh, I like Josh spent last a uh, majority of last night, you know, stat out these teams yeah oh i appreciate that uh yeah so i I do too uh or as well have these guys statted out so i got to see how much you like each other after the show that's it you guys are all don't worry we're gonna be throwing some virtual bows here i promise i I come to I come to fight. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to stat them out. And, and, and Whisper Nation, we'll just remind you that uh, we're going to have the full team projections for all of these teams and all these players in our fantasy football draft kit, which you can get on pre-sale right now by going over to thefantasywhispers.com and going to the shop and clicking on that. Uh, get the get the draft kit for pre-sale right now. We're going to get into this NFC East, but guys, I have a little bit of a question on the day to start us off first. Um, one of our favorite topics each year is looking at the landscape of fantasy football, looking at the ADP, and trying to understand what our favorite 
draft position is based on some of the mocks we're doing. Josh, I don't know how many mocks you've gotten in so far this year. I know we've been on a couple with you, um, but I'll, I'll start with you. What have you found is your favorite position in redraft to be drafting from uh, in, in 2021? Let's say a 12-team t- league. Where do you like to position yourself if you have the choice? So, so far, I've done all of two. Okay. That's it. And both of them have been live streams. So that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just honestly have not really had the time to do much in terms of mock drafting of late uh, with, you know, everything that we've got preparing for the off season and uh, all the shows and stuff that we're doing and, and prep for the season and everything. I just, I really have not had much time to get on there, but that will be changing in the coming weeks. Um, really. I like picking at the back end. And, and my biggest reason is in the mocks that I've done of late, like it's great to get that bona fide like RB one in the beginning of the draft, but every draft I've done, and again I'm talking about two different drafts here, you've got like 15 running backs going in the first two rounds, and I'm a running back guy. Like I want my running backs to start out, and then I'll I'll work down my wide receivers because I just feel like receiver in general is just deeper. But if I'm picking at the back half, I know that I'm gonna get two guys that one very much should finish as an RB1 and the other has that RB1 upside and his floor is still comfortably an RB2. If I'm in the top or even in the middle, I'm going to get a really, really good running back. I'm going to get a Saquon. I'm going to get a Kamara. I'm going to get a Zeke, maybe an Aaron Jones, whatever it may be. And then I'm either going a not so great RB2 that I'm probably not as high on and missing out on a wide receiver one or I'm going to go some sort of modified zero RB and just stack up with uh, wide receivers and then take some dart throws on guys like James Conner, Chase Edmonds, Gus Edwards, et cetera. I think that's a, I think that's just really a, a, an astute observation to talk about how many running backs we are and how heavy we are this year. And now we know, I think over the last couple of years, and I think we talked about this a little bit, there's this pocket of wide receivers between like three and seven or four and seven, depending on what you're looking at. And if we can navigate that, um, even if you're not an RB robust guy, you could anchor with an RB and then kind of attack the wide receiver position and then come back to RB later, or it'll allow you to zig while you zag. But I think the important of this question, the importance of this question is getting whisper nation in the, in the mindset of how do you look at your draft? How do you know your league mates, of course, but like, how do you look at your draft and how positions are going and allow yourself to be more flexible, be like water, as we like to say in your draft and adjust Johnny, What's your take on this position? Do you uh, agree with Josh that you'd like the back end or do you like the middle? Do you like the beginning? What's your what's been your take in 2021, the theme for this year? Well, I do think it's really, really interesting because my my general opinion and I, you know, where I've been liking going is that kind of back half, like eight, that eight spot, because you tend to get, you know, potentially we're going to talk about a couple of players on today's show that will probably fall in that area. And I think they're steals uh, if you're getting them in the first round, you know, at that area and then you're talking about you know the second round josh was talking about the upside of the rb1s there and then yeah you talk about even a little bit further down let's say you grabbed a wide receiver in that second round a little bit further down you could get these upside rb2s uh that have some question marks you know like a jk dobbins or like a miles sanders or something like that but you're you know you're able to you know like you said be a little bit more flexible with that area but i will say of all of the at least the last couple of years there is an actual real advantage that is kind of shaping up with that 101 spot 
because of what there is being so much talent, you know, in that second round and guys really aren't sure where certain values are yet. And so it's pushing really, really good talent back to that, you know, first area. And so if you're grabbing, you know, I think Dalvin Cook should be number one off the board. But even if you take a CMC and those guys are getting you, you know, 20 plus points per uh, per game and then you're able to double that up with you know a, a running back that falls or a, a dominant wide receiver that falls I, I just think that that's shaping up to be a really nice way to draft all I know is if I'm not getting one of the top two tight ends I'm going to be tilting mad hard through my entire draft and I'm just going to be like angry drafting the whole time do you typically um, like we've seen it before, Josh, uh, this is an interesting topic, like draft day manifestos, typical like round by round kind of situation. Do you usually go in like right now you're saying I want one of those top two tight ends where I'm tilting? Uh, are you are you I mean, I'm being facetious? But oh, OK. OK. All right. All right. Fair enough. You, you, you have I mean, a, look, I do in the opposite of those in the, two tight ends. Yes, in the opposite I realm, I, I would say, yeah. do you in the opposite <laughs> of that? You have rules. I do want one of those top two guys for me. It's if I'm not getting Kelsey, I'm not getting Waller. I'm completely punting the position altogether. OK, because they they provide such an advantage, a positional advantage that no other position in, in fantasy football offered you. Like, it's great to get that RB1, but you're always going to have RB2s or even, like, uh, some deep dart throw in the later rounds that pops. I mean, look at Antonio Gibson. Nobody thought he was going to be anything, and then he goes out and scores, what, he had 14 touchdowns last year? Yeah. He was an RB1 for most of the year. I mean, the the, the later injury in the season, it definitely hurt from a playoff implication perspective, but you got great ROI on a pick like Gibson. Very rarely do you get that at the tight end position. Like, everybody talks about, oh, I'm all about throwing dart throws. This, every single year we talk about how deep the tight end position is, right? And every single year it never ceases to amaze us that there's only two guys that we want. Like, let's be real here. So the whole big thing is that, yes, there's a big three. Kittle, to me, is that third guy. You just don't know if he's going to be healthy because it's every year it's something different. Waller has separated himself along with Kelsey as those two big guys. And then everybody else, we all think that Hawkinson's going to make that leap, but now he's the number one option. And, he and the number two. Number and the number two yeah. option. And, and yeah. the number three. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, no, one's, I think that's that one's DeAndre that's Swift. That one, number that's three is an DeAndre interesting, Swift. No, yeah. he's four. Oh. <laughs> that's an interesting point to bring up, though. It's like the reason we think it's deep is because we all want to have all these different crapshoot guys that we want to try and make uh be you know enter that yeah. tier so the next big thing yeah exactly which be. i think is right i think that's the strategy grab one of those two or punt the position and grab two of the guys at the back end that are going to help you try and uh, and do that and make that happen this year well that's an interesting take whisper nation we want to know what you think let us know in the comments below what you think your favorite position will be to draft from in 2021 and uh, we'll start with this NFC East mumbo jumbo. But before before we get into the NFC East, I want to tell Whisper Nation once again that the the Fantasy Whispers draft kit is launching soon, and it's going to be better than ever this year. Our draft kit is fully loaded with premium player projections and rankings, consistency charts, and three years worth of data, uh, cheat sheets, strength of schedule charts, and so much more. Uh, the TFW draft kit will be on sale July 1st for $15. But if you start pre-ordering now by going to the fantasywhispers.com, which I dropped the link right there in the chat, then you can get it for only $10, with it, which is a great deal. And uh, you can get everything you need to dominate your draft. We're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys first. And they dominated offensively uh, when Dak was healthy last year. 
through those first five weeks, man, it was insane, the production that was going on for him. And now we're in a situation where we're hoping to get him back healthy. We've read reports that say he's probably going to be ready for week one, which is the opening day game, if I'm not mistaken, against Tampa Bay. And then you have the trickle-down deconomics, as I like to call them, based on what that means for the rest of the offense. Uh, when we get into Zeke, we'll talk about how just the effect that that had on Zeke. Um, and so because Dak is the motor that drives this whole offense, we're going to start with Dak Prescott. Uh, toward pace last year, gruesome injury. We saw that. Um, but there's some league-winning potential here, Josh, that I see in Dak Prescott if you're able to grab him and he can stay healthy all year long. Now, I'll ask you uh, if if your Eagles bias is going to come in here against Dak, but for fantasy football purposes, how are you how are you projecting Dak this season? So of the – I've basically statted out half the league so far, and, and I always start with the bottom half of teams and then I work our way up to the Super Bowl champions. Right now, he's my QB2, the only quarterback I have ahead of him from the bottom – 15 16 teams is justin herbert that's it i think that and again we saw we saw the pace we even talked about heading into last year how many pass attempts dak prescott looked to be in line for and even with the you know the the crap shoot of quarterbacks that they trotted out after dak got hurt dalton danucci the whoever else started to get Garrett Gilbert, I think was the fourth one that they, they trotted out there. They still ran a ton of offensive plays. So if Dak comes back healthy and that leg holds up, he's going to throw the football a ton out of the top half of the, or the bottom half of the league that I've started out so far. He's first in pass attempts for me ahead of only Matt Ryan. Like these are bad. These are teams with very bad defenses and guess what happens. You throw the football a ton as a result. And this is a team that has really good offensive weapons. You talk about a top three at wide receiver of Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, even Michael Gallup, and you want to throw Blake Jarwin. Ezekiel Elliott's had three straight years over 70 targets. They have a ton of weaponry that they that Dak Prescott has at his available. You'd be stupid not to throw the football, even if you had a good defense. Right. Because that's just what you're going to do. The biggest issue for me with Dak and why I don't have him probably up there with the likes of like a, a Mahomes, even a Lamar Jackson to a certain degree, his rushing totals have dropped. And I can't imagine that's going to improve coming off of a leg injury, right? Well, we talk all the time about the cheat codes that rushing quarterbacks provide. Right. He's not going to have that this year. He's, he's going to chip in a few rushing touchdowns. You get in the red zone. That's what he's been doing. Even the first you know few years of his career was six touchdowns, six yeah. touchdowns, six touchdowns. And but a lot of that torrid pace came from quantity and not quality. Well, right? and also he was on pace for right? six thousand passes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he had because he had to so run. Bad. Well, even like, and he had to run beginning of his career, right? Because like they didn't really have the exact weapons they have now. Like when he gets to the red zone. You've got so many different options to go to. He's, he doesn't have to run it. Johnny, do you tend to agree here that um, you like Dak to finish in the top five, but are you willing to take him early? Like, what's your take on all of the on on this? Are we are we a little bit behind? Are we ahead? Where do you think the industry lands here? And what's your projection for for Dak this year? I mean, I I, to, I don't disagree that I think he'll bounce back and and that he'll have one of the most completion percentages uh, or the most passing attempts in the league. I do like that stat. I do uh, follow that same belief. 
But along those same lines of what Josh was talking about as far as the rushing attempts, so this is a little interesting. Dak Prescott uh, averages about 60 rushing attempts per season over the last you know three seasons, not counting last season when he got injured, right? But if you look at uh, during that time, he had 21 rushing touchdowns and he's averaged six other than, you know, the 2019 season. He had he only had three. And then she obviously had three, but in those uh, he had those three in the five game span. And then you break that down, 93 rushing yards and 18 attempts. So he was he was basically on the same pace as he was before. Now, if you take away that rushing attempt, because that's where I think Josh hit the, you know, uh, I was about to be like an old lady in in bingo, you know, and say bingo when you, you know, you (laughs) talked about him and running at a a less because of the leg. And I think that's what we're going to see, right? Like Carson Wentz, good example. He used to scramble a lot, right? And then he injured his leg and he became hesitant that first season. I think that's what we could see with with Dak, especially because he does have a plethora of talent around him, so he doesn't necessarily have to run. But here's the interesting thing. Even if you took away all of those rushing yard, uh, like rushing points that he got, which would accumulate about 27, he would still have finished at the QB, or he still would have been a QB5 last season at that same point. So he can definitely still get it done with the throwing. It just it's a little concerning to me that he doesn't have that rushing uh you know floor to kind of keep his his numbers up. And the last thing I know, I I just the ultimate decision I would say is I, I'm a little out on Dak at his current ADP. And that's because if you when in doubt, look at the schedule. And I know a lot of things change, but he does have a, a pretty difficult, you know, talk about Tampa Bay as his first game coming back and then you that even his first six games are a little brutal but then look at this in the playoffs right washington weeks 14 and 16 that defense is good giants defense in week 15 which it we we don't know if that will it's better better. exactly and then the cardinals in week 17 now i think and and the belief around arizona is that we got some defensive weapons that will make us better now will that actually pan out who that will only tell, but it does on paper right now look like a difficult schedule. And then you pair that with the first six weeks of, you know, difficult games. And I think people are going to be a little disappointed in Dak. So I think it's actually wise to let somebody else draft him and then go after him after the first couple of weeks, because he does have some nice matchups in the middle of the season. And then you can kind of sell him high before the playoffs. You, know, you mentioned are- the playoff schedule. That's a, that's a big thing. I yeah. used to look at that a lot more. Yeah, going into drafts than I do now, because, again, if you have a very active league, you can find ways to trade at peak value. But Mm -hmm. we talked a lot about the pace that he was on last year. He was only on pace for 21 passing touchdowns. That, to me, is the biggest downside. And that's what I mentioned of the 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 quantity versus the quality. And and, and a lot of times, Josh, that can just be a low touchdown rate. Right. So, well, no, I understand and, that. And, and like, if like, he's got he's yardage, usually yardage will eventually lead to touchdowns. He's uh, consistently among the top quarterbacks in drop percentage. Yeah. And the, the you know, CD Lamb had, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, nine drops last year. Two years ago, Michael Gallup had 13. We've seen concentration issues with Amari Cooper in the past. CD Lamb, again, nine drops last year, only had 12 in three years at Oklahoma. Yeah. So, I don't know if this is just maybe Dak doesn't throw as good of a ball as maybe we want to think mm. or there's just issues with the wide receivers and the coaches in general. But that to me is a concerning factor. And if you have a, a quarterback with a high drop percentage, 
it's going to be rare that they're going to have high touchdown percentages as well. That's yeah. interesting. That's, that's a that's great an interesting stat. point. I love you bringing up that, Josh, and and talking about the little bit of disappointment that could be there for for Dak and, and owners that uh, grab him. A little bit of disappointment, a lot of bit of disappointment for Zeke last year and in owners that had him, especially down the stretch after uh, Dak was out. I want to just talk about if we think that as an industry, and I'll and I'll kick this first to you, Josh. As an industry, are we sleeping on Zach due to those lack of monster? games at the end of last year without Dak are we attributing that all to Dak do we think that people are kind of being a little silly drafting him as late you know we were seeing some dynasty startups where he's going in like the fourth round he's going behind a, a lot of guys that maybe he shouldn't um where do you think what do you think about that or, or what, what's your take on Zeke this year honestly I've been one of the biggest Zeke truthers since he came into the league I, I just think he's a dynamic running back and the Dallas offensive line has regressed obviously with, you know, retirements and, and injuries, et cetera. But I think it, with a healthy Dak, that's going to take pressure off of Zeke. That That's any running back. Anytime you have a capable quarterback, that makes running the football 10 times easier. It's just na the nature of the beast. Um, he's still a workhorse. He's going to get the volume. But my biggest thing when looking not just at Zeke, but any running back in the NFL, there's now 17 games. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There aren't very many running backs right now that average more than 20 rushing attempts per game. So now you start looking at some of these guys that have capable backups like a Zeke with Tony Pollard, like a Dalvin Cook with Alexander Madison. You know, look at the Panthers. They've used Christian McCaffrey as a workhorse. He only played three games last year. They go out and draft Chub Chuba Hubbard. Mm -hmm. Like that's what teams are starting to prepare for. So I, I don't know that Zeke is going to come out here and rush for, you know, 340 attempts. I don't I don't think that. I have him right now projected at 270, which I think is probably on the low side. But I still have him as a top 10 running back. And again, as I mentioned before, three straight years, he's been over 70 targets. That's what you want out of a running back. Yeah. You want 70 targets. You want 50 catches. That's what he's going to bring to the table. I have zero problem. Like I mentioned before at the early part of the show, if you're drafting in the late part of the draft, Hell, dial up Zeke as your RB1. Even if he only finishes his RB9, guess what? You got him at his floor. That's yeah. not a problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Absolutely. John, I want to hear your take on Zeke because I think it's a little bit of a travesty. The it, the the industry is so low on Zeke with everything we love in a running back, as Josh was kind of pointing out. Volume, pass catching, part of a good offense. The defense is bad, so this team is going to continue to get opportunities. It's all lining up for Zeke. Am I missing something here? I I think I don't think you're missing anything, Travis. Uh, I think a lot of people are just recency bias, right? They just remember what happened at the end of the last season. Oh, Zeke, you know, kind of slowed down. He had the calf injury, you know, and then Tony, uh, Tony Pollard came in. He looked great. And so people kind of went the other way and you know emotions swing high and low in this game and that's when you have to take advantage of that situation you know as long as you do your own research you know and or let us do your research for you and we'll tell you and i think absolutely ezekiel elliott is a, a is a smash draft right now especially at his adp i think he's going to be one of the top five running backs this season i don't doubt it you look at what he was doing during the five weeks with dak right he was 
90%, just under 90% snap share, six total touchdowns, four out of five games. He had over 100 yards uh, total, you know, with receiving and on the ground. His lowest fi- finish was RB15. And he, he only finished outside to, of a complete bust two times. And they were both against Washington, obviously without Dak. So you saw this major difference in Ze- and Zeke's performance with Dak and Zeke's performance without Dak. And there's also a, a muddied water of, oh, did they use Tony Pollard a whole lot when when Dak was in there? And the answer was no, they really didn't. They they mostly gave the ball to Zeke Elliott. We know the coaching staff there does tend to like to go with a more dominant running back A than a and then sprinkle in a running back B. But I, I agree with Josh, like uh, looking at the 17 game season and looking at how this has already been going with a 16 game season. Most teams have a running back A and, a, and then a running back B. It's just what portion of that uh, breakdown do they get? And I think Ezekiel Elliott still falls in that kind of workhorse line of thinking, in my opinion. So he's an absolute draft for me. If you're in that backhand, like I was saying, if you're in that eight spot and he falls because he's tend to do that. I think you're you've got a top five running back and everyone's sleeping on him. I love it. You mentioned consistency. I absolutely love that because I'm like that's one of my biggest things is I, I'm looking at consistency, especially from with your top draft picks. Two years ago, Zeke finished inside the top 24 all 16 weeks. That's what he does. He is a consistently durable and effective runner. That's what I want. Plain and simple. Like if, if I'm drafting a guy, it's great to get those 35, 40 point explosion games. But if you're only giving me eight one week, that doesn't help me. Right. So yeah, if you're so, consistently giving me 14, 15 points, bring it all day. So TFW's got two rules for you. Number one, go draft Zeke because it's probably a value. Number two, go follow stepmom Lauren, who's joining us here. Hi, Lauren. Says, Hi. Hey. But then she also says, uh, you you agree with Josh? Not a big fan. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> she never does. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, no, I love you too, Lord. We want to thank everybody in here. We got ten of you watching with us, and we've got a few likes. Get those likes up. Help us out. We'll get this video out to a bunch more people and get Whisper Nation growing here. But we appreciate everybody in here. Want to continue on with those Dallas Cowboys? Look, I think we'll skim over Tony Pollard here. I think we're all in agreement that Zeke is the guy to target. Tony Pollard's probably a valuable handcuff here. We don't see a lot of standalone value for Tony Pollard. He would be the last guy on a totem pole of a lot of weapons in this offense uh, to get the ball. And I think a lot of those guys get the ball first. I will pitch it over here to my man, Josh, about Amari Cooper, because Amari Cooper has been inconsistent. We've seen it. You talked about a little bit of the drop issues, concentration issues, what have you. He's been inconsistent up and down with his fantasy performance, but he has been the most consistent with Dak Prescott. And so now we're seeing an offense that's humming at all the right levels. Where do you stand on the Amari Cooper? Are you, I I guess I'll ask if you're a Cooper hater or a Cooper backer here, Josh. I've come around on Cooper. Uh, I I mentioned consistency. That's one of the things that I'm always looking at. And up until last year, Amari Cooper was the epitome of not consistent, like at all. Um, He's found a home and he's found an offense that treats him as his talent level suggests. He is an alpha. He's an X. He's a very skilled route runner, probably top five in the league right now. Um, and they're going to feed him the football. That's just what what they do. And Mike McCarthy's system's always had a, a dominant top dog. Everybody wants to talk about C.D. Lamb being that guy. And, and C.D. Lamb was my wide receiver one heading into last year's draft. And, you know, just seeing how they're, they utilized him last year, they're going to throw him the football. What 
kind of dissuades me a little bit off of Lamb is it's very rare that you find a team with a dominant X and then the slot receiver is their best wide receiver, right? And that's what CD Lamb is. He ran over 93% of his routes from the slot. So when they go to two wide receiver sets, guess who's off the field and guess who's on the field? Cooper's on the field and Lamb is off. That right there is automatically going to benefit Amari Cooper in the times that they line up to run, but then choose to pass. So I'm 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 in on Cooper, especially at his draft price. People are just absolutely fading him because of the explosion that CD Lamb has been. Now, if you want to talk to me about Lamb starting to run more on the outside, that's going to affect Michael Gallup as a deep dart throw, maybe in best ball, because I think that's really where uh, Gallup shines most. I have all three of these receivers topping 100 targets. They're going to throw the football enough. And even last year, all three of them damn near hit it. I think Gallup ended with 98 targets. Yeah, so we talk a lot about lining up in the slot and what that means. And so what I, what you said there was very interesting, Josh, because I think people are going to try and believe in their mind that C.D. Lamb is going to be the big play guy for this offense. But realistically, it's probably going to be Cooper still because, as you said, two wide receiver sets, use play action, going for the deep shot with Cooper. That doesn't mean that we are anti-C.D. Lamb, though, either because slot routes are valuable and we like the matchups that are happening so johnny i'll ask you what's the next step in progression for cd lamb's you know chemistry with dak and and what he can do this year how do we view cd lamb at you know it doesn't really matter if we like amari cooper as much as we do because we've talked about how much this offense can produce i don't like the fact that you lamb is going about the same area as Amari Cooper. And that's what bothered. I think that his ADP needs to come down. I'm I'm with Josh. I I hate this because like I'm not normally on oh, we've uh, got three teams yeah. left, Johnny. No. Trust me, we'll find some agreement. <laughs> no, no, no. I, well I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm saying this generally happens where I'll I'll be off of a player for so many years and just you know like you said consistency for me and then I'll finally buy in him and then that's when he goes back to his old ways and then it is what it is but that's uh neither here nor yet there that's not actual analysis on my end that's just my own luck hashtag i guess not yeah <laughs> hashtag not announced thanks but as far as cd lamb goes i i would say that i do think when they do go to two wide receiver sets you will start to see cd lamb run more outside now i'm not a a huge I don't think that will significantly increase his usage because they use so Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy uses a three wide receiver set a, a significant amount. And so you, you, that's why you see CD Lamb's usage so high is because he is always on the field. But again, I can't take him at his ADP right now because I, you know, when you're looking at him going at the same ADP as Amari Cooper, I'm always going to take Cooper over him and I need CD Lamb to fall down a little bit. I do think he goes over a thousand yards. I do think he gets six touchdowns, but I think it's going to be really inconsistent because of the position and things like that and so many mouths to feed. Yeah, I yeah. have them only at about 11 fantasy points apart. The, like, I don't have that big of a difference. Yeah, oh, this is a, there's a big yardage difference. Yeah, yeah there's a big yardage a, difference for me. 
This is a thing where I think people just need to readjust expectations. As Josh was saying about Cooper maybe being the big play threat, well, that doesn't mean that um, um, that CeeDee Lamb can't be the compiler for this offense. In fact, he probably will be. He was top 25 in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns at the wide receiver position last year, and that was with Andy Dalton, you know, Ben DiNucci, dumpster fire that was going on. We look at those things to project longevity in a breakout wide receiver, production in their rookie year. CeeDee Lamb checks all those boxes. He checks all the boxes of prospect. He checks the boxes. Of a, of a of a of a offense. This is an offense that can easily produce two top uh, wide receivers, two wide receiver ones. And I think you're getting actually Ceedee Lamb right now at wide receiver 14 and ADP. That's a great value for me because he's going to get you probably wide receiver two numbers. Uh, as a floor, and then he can burst onto the scene any given week, depending on where those targets go that week. And so I think as a compiler, especially in PPR, this is a guy that's going to eat up some volume. I'm really, really loving uh, what I'm seeing out of CeeDee Lamb. Anybody Reminds wanna... me a little bit of what Seattle had last year with DK and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I just well, think that you're going to find the Dallas offense, in, in terms and, of the pass catchers, more consistent. Yeah, because I was just going to say, I, I think they could. That's willing to throw the football. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think they can be better because they're going to put up more numbers volume wise, or they should uh, put up more volume numbers wise. Uh, Johnny, do you want to make a case here at all for Michael Gallup? Uh, I, I think he's going to be probably odd man out, like we talked about with Pollard. And, and obviously, Josh, jump in if you'd like to. But I think that this is. Um, I think this is an odd man out kind of situation. He is for me. I, I think he's just going to, you're going to end up finding him on the waiver wire. So I'll take my gamble on a, a guy that has a little bit more upside in those later rounds. That's my personal. And then opinion. Josh on, on Blake Jarwin. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, let me comment real quick on Gallup before we jump into Jarwin. But I, I, again, Gallup was my number one receiver coming out a few years back. Mm -hmm. Like him and Cortland Sutton, those were my boys. Like I absolutely loved watching their tape having them come in and it absolutely pains me to see my top two guys in respective draft classes end up on my sworn enemy i know that's neither here nor there but anyway gallup is really the big play guy in this offense mm. he's the guy that gets downfield he has the ability to go up get those jump balls he's going to average 15 plus yards per reception that's just the nature of the beast with him but again that passing volume is going to get him targets but he's not going to catch more than 60 percent of the balls mm -hmm. And that therein lies the issue with someone like Gallup. And if he's not putting up eight, nine, 10 touchdowns, he becomes a bi-week fill-in. And as I mentioned before, he's more of a best ball target for me yeah. because of those pop weeks on occasion. Um, but at the same token, that upside lies there because what happens if Lamb gets hurt? What happens if Cooper goes down? Now right. you're talking about a potential top 24 guy and somebody that we've seen go over a thousand yards. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of my take Lauren coming in saying yeah. Gallup's not an odd man out for me. And I think Josh hit it on the head there. That was a great take to see why he could not be an out, uh, an outside man for a lot of people. Like speaking of a guy that Lauren Carpenter, like she loved Blake Jarwin last year. Blake Jarwin was one of the most all popular. Did. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just yeah. going to say he was one of the most popular breakout candidates. Where are we at Josh with Blake Jarwin coming into this year? Do we think it's there for him? Uh, where do you stand here this year? I honestly, I have him right around the same like projections that I had him pre-injury last year. Uh, I think it's just kind of how the, the pieces of the pie break out in this offense. But the biggest wild card for me is Dalton Schultz. Like he came in last year and did the job. And I don't think that any team is just automatically going to look at that and say, thanks for your service, buddy. Now go sit on the bench. Like it's right. just not going to happen. And the biggest difference here is Dalton Schultz knows how to block. 
Blake Jarwin's a glorified wide receiver. And yeah. the the other flip side, a lot of people want to talk about, oh, well, Dallas went out, they paid Blake Jarwin. Okay, cool. You know what his dead cap is next year if they cut him? $1 million. That's it. And they save over $5 million cutting him. So what, what does that tell you about Blake Jarwin? He's not a guarantee in this offense, plain and simple. Yeah. They're going to trot out the guy that helps them the most. And if they need help blocking because our offensive line engine is in shambles, guess who's going to be on the field? It's not Blake Jarwin. Yeah, and you just have a, a track record with Mike McCarthy not necessarily featuring a tight end a lot within, right. you know, going to the wide receivers more. I mean, so I still I th- have him fourth in targets. Like, he's not going to yeah. be featured. Mm-hmm. But Right, right. You know. No, I, I think that was a great point. We'll move on to the New York Giants now, uh, which, you know, when you look at this team from a higher level view, you kind of look like it's put up or shut up time for Daniel Jones. And we look at this offense, it looks to be stacked on paper, but can we get all the pieces to start humming together? Obviously offensive line issues in the past, Daniel Jones issues themselves, wide receiver health issues. Um, But we are going to, you know, project this team on paper to be fully healthy, but I, we got to look at Daniel Jones and maybe I'm just burned and looked at him because I had him as one of my uh, my bromances last year uh, and maybe I'm biased, but I think he's a lost cause. Um, and I think that's especially probably true with Garrett calling plays. Uh, I just don't. It, it's always been a vanilla offense. But, Johnny, maybe you can convince me and, and talk to Whisper Nation or maybe you agree with me that, you know, it, you know, we were talking Daniel Jones is like a sleeper QB or a, a QB two guy last year uh, in two quarterback leagues. Where do you where do you stand this year? I do think that there is some potential there. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's going to be, you know, surefire top seven quarterback. But there is some upside because of his rushing ability, right? He averages uh, 25 rushing yards per game, which is a nice little floor. And then the whole, the whole thing is we were talking about, you know, like Dak, who's averaged six rushing touchdowns per season, where Danny Dimes is only the max he's ever gotten was two in a season. This is where I do like, though. I do like the additions of a guy like Kadarius Tony and a guy like uh, Kenny G. I'll dive into exactly why I think that benefits him so much uh, and a little bit in that segment uh, for Kenny G. But I just think that with him getting added weapons, the ability that he has to get outside the pocket and scramble, there is some upside there. Again, his biggest downside, though, is his, his self. He's got to get his, out of his own way keep down those turnovers and then you could actually be see a guy that you could probably stream for a couple of weeks. One guy we're not streaming because we're just putting him right in our lineup. He's a top five pick is Saquon Barkley. Josh, anything, you know, revolutionary you in your mind with Saquon, or are we just kind of set and forget it at top of drafts? No, you're definitely, you're setting it and forgetting it. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing with Barkley, obviously coming off of an ACL injury uh, be prepared for some rusty games at start. Um, I don't know whether it's just him kind of getting back into game shape or the team itself, maybe just kind of like, hey, we're only going to give you 15 touches this Pitch week before we dial start. you up to like yeah. 35 in week four. Um, Opportunity I, to maybe buy low on a Saquon at the beginning of the year? Potentially, absolutely. Um, you know, But again, like your savvy owners – they're going to be like, dude, it's Saquon Barkley. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest Saquon Barkley fan. I've, I've been on record with this. It's not because I don't love him as a talent. I I don't appreciate his decision-making. And what I mean by that is he's the guy that always wants the big play. And he's going to compile more than negative yard rushes and zero yard rushes than 
probably any player in football this year because that's just what he does. But the moment he hits that hole, it's 80 yards and a home run. That That's who he is. And, you know, I, you just see it all the time with these guys that, oh, he's a generational back. Well, I was old enough to remember when Leonard Fournette was in a generational back and where we are. Oh, you, yeah, he he still is. You take that back. Oh, no, yeah, right. So, you know, and that, that's the point I'm getting at. Like, Barkley, is just, he's, he's, he's going to be featured in this offense. They really want Daniel Jones to be – a game manager. And if, if anybody's out there that thinks about doing projections, when you're doing projections for this year's New York giants team, take, do yourself a favor and go back to 2016 and 2017 with the Dallas Cowboys and look at how Jason Garrett handled Dak Jones or Dak Prescott those two years. And you will get an idea of how he handled Daniel Jones last year and how he's likely to handle Daniel Jones this year. The Watch biggest the- difference between Prescott and Jones is turnovers. And that's why I think Jones will ultimately fail as a quarterback because he cannot hold on to the football. Dak Jones or Dak Prescott. Why do I keep mixing those two guys up? Dak, Dak Prescott. Hey, Dak, Jones, shown, uh, Dak Jones sounds yeah. like there's a baller, dude. Sounds like a great <laughs> yeah, he's going to be a baller, dude. Um, Dak Prescott, like four interceptions his rookie year. Yeah, that's I know. what he's- you want from somebody that's going to control the offense. Daniel Jones, polar opposite of that. Well, and to yeah, Dax, Dax interceptions down, but Jason Garrett's hand clapping way, way up yeah. in this offense for sure. To that, to that case in point, I mean, Garrett is is going to be what limits this team because if you look at you know specifically those years and just as years in Dallas in general, they were actually one of the league uh, lower uh, on the lower end of the league as far as plays ran uh, on a game to game and season long basis, and so you know. There are ways to make up when you're when your quarterback, you know, does make, do turnovers or something like that by playing faster, you get more opportunity. But that's uh, how Garrett runs the offense. It's like slow and steady kind of thing. And so, yeah, to to Josh's point, there is that. Okay, well, sticking with the Garrett theme here, Josh, we've seen years of Des Bryant, Amari Cooper, wide receiver ones in this offense being still productive, no matter uh, what we want to say about Garrett and the slow pace of the offense. Do you think that Kenny G is worth, the, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze on Kenny G here? Are we buying into his this contract they gave him and and, and Kenny G, who is a you know a former fantasy darling? He he's going to be their guy. Uh, the biggest thing is going to be his ability with the jump ball and his size and his ability to get downfield. That's what's going to help Daniel Jones. Kenny Galladay, I don't know how many people know this. Kenny Galladay averages 16.8 yards per reception in his career. That's not only a big guy that can that can jump and haul in catches, but he's a big guy that can get down the field in a hurry. He shows that. He has a, at least one season now with, you know, double-digit touchdowns. We've seen multiple seasons of double-digit touchdowns of Des Bryant in this Jason Garrett offense. Last year when I was doing these projections, I thought that maybe they had that with Darius Slayton. Turns out, no. They went out and got the guy that they feel can fill that Des Bryant void in a Jason Garrett offense, and that is Kenny Galladay. People, you can miss me with the whole, well, Kenny G's never had 120 targets in a season, blah, blah, blah. You know what fixes that? A 17th freaking game. Like, let's yeah, be honest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I currently have him projected at 124. And again, like this is a guy that he's missed multiple games. He only played five games last year. 
uh, two years ago, um, or three years ago, excuse me, played uh, 14 or 15, I think, when he had 119 targets. So this is a guy that's averaged over eight targets or just about eight targets in a game. So he has the ability to cross that 120 target threshold. But even if he's only completing or catching 60% of his passes, he's going to rack up close to 1,200 yards. The biggest question is going to be how many of those are going to be touchdowns. I currently have him at nine projected because, again, I think Barkley's going to take some, not just in the receiving game, but he's going to handle some of those breakaway touchdowns where they don't need to go deep for Galladay. And I don't. I think we've already seen Daniel Jones' ceiling when it comes to touchdown passes. That's just me. Yeah, Johnny, when you hammer, when you look at this, uh, when you look at these stats, do you want to hammer home anything interesting about Kenny Galladay and this marriage with uh, Daniel Jones? Because I know we we talked about touchdown stealing and and stuff like that, but we've also seen spurts of Darius Slayton be very successful, who was a deep threat, and we've seen Daniel Jones be able to push the ball down the field. Do you you particularly probably love this situation for Kenny G? I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I think that Kenny G is one of the biggest steals going in those middle rounds because, like you know, Josh. Josh was saying he's going to be the number one and similar to last year. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not going to go out all the way on the limb and say Josh Allen or Danny Dimes going to be this year's Josh Allen. But you look at similarly to what Diggs brought to Josh Allen, you're going to see that from Kenny G. And that's because. Danny Dimes does like to go down the field. He's actually one of the most accurate down the field passers. He was number seven uh, last year in, uh, or excuse me, he was, uh, his deep ball completion was 46.2%, which was number two in the league for Danny Dimes. He just didn't have uh, a number one guy, like you said, like Slayton, his contested catch rate was 83% was his best contested catch rate down the field. Well, they go out and get Kenny G, who we talked about as a big wide receiver. Not only that, but his contested catch rate was 54.2%, which was seventh in the league. That year he had Stafford and he he caught all those deep ball targets. I think you're going to see something very, very similar, especially like you said, we know Garrett's system. I absolutely love Kenny G. I think he's going to do wonders for Danny Dimes and uh, good for him on signing that mega contract. Cat's Pajamas coming in saying, what's up, guys? And Josh, I'll ask you, are we going to say what's up to any of the other wide receivers in this offense or or going back to hammer home the point of this is such a slow offense, we think it's probably going to be a main vein within Kenny Galladay. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, either of these guys getting it going for you this year? No, I mean, the only two guys I'm looking to roster from this team in fantasy are are Galladay and Barkley. Uh, Shepard, they kind of signed, sealed, delivered him when they drafted Tony. I think Tony's ultimately going to end up being a better NFL player than he'll be a fantasy player. Um, Evan Ingram, I think there's some potential there just because of the involvement in the offense. Um, But unless he gets his touchdown rate up, he's no like his ceiling is essentially a low end tight end. Well, and that, um, that that brings up an interesting point, Josh, because he's going so late in drafts right now. He's becoming the Noah Fant or the Jonu Smith of last year, where it's an athletic build tight end that you can get really late and you could just hope for a, a, an overcorrection and touchdown rate. Johnny, do you believe that Evan Ingram is a guy that could be an upside or do you think you're passing on him for a guy, you know, like a, a, a Tyler Higby more often or like a Logan Thomas, who we'll talk about in a couple uh, segments? I would rather have Ingram over Logan Thomas, but I wouldn't rather have Ingram over uh, over Higby. So it's just really preference here. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's the complete opposite yeah, for me. Well, I really? You can miss me with that Tyler Higby crap. 
<laughs> wow, dude. I'm all you heard it here first, dude. Tyler Higby. Well, I know I know uh, your podcast partner is also on the Higby uh, train. But dude, we're always welcome. If you want to come, even if it's like after week five and you and you see that Higby is a top five, you can still come sit on the on the bandwagon with us. We we won't we won't discriminate. Uh, I don't I don't know I'll if he's going to be. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, my take on Ingram is that I think he's I think the upside is there. And I think if, you, if you've got a preference on him, look, he's an athletic tight end, a hybrid tight end, uh, a guy that could be a red zone threat for them. Um, and I think there's there's been some, you know, flashing the red zone threat. That's Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how they he use fits Rudolph more of that Jason Witten mold for Jason Garrett. Yeah, oh, which is unfortunate gross. that Jason Garrett is even calling <laughs> yeah, any right. plays or doing anything in this league. <laughs> Anyways, we'll move on to the next team, which is Josh's favorite team. But before that, we want to let Whisper Nation know that they can head on over to Patreon and help us out, help support the show right over there. Go to patreon.com forward slash the fantasy whispers. Even the five or ten dollar levels, they get you into some of the patron benefits that include exclusive Discord channels, entries to sports card giveaways, increased odds uh, for a landing spot in our listener league, and bonus fantasy football content that's only available to the patrons. Head on over to the patreon.com forward slash the fantasy whispers today and join the nation. Josh, we're going to talk about your Eagles now. I'm excited about that, brother. I know you are as well. We've got a few few things working. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, uh, for fantasy football purposes, is now shaping up to be one of the better late-round QB candidates because of that rushing upside. We look at Miles Sanders and, and his health and and this new regime and some of the moves they've made, and, and if we wonder if Sanders is still the answer. And then also adding enough weapons to this offense is a, is a, is a narrative that I've heard did Philly do a lot of those things? I, I guess to start this whole segment off, Josh, I just want to say finger on the pulse is just a Philadelphia Eagles fan. How are you feeling about your team right now? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, honest, I knew I, love I, could, it. Love it. I, knew I could count on hey. you for the look. You brought dirty laundry onto the start of the show. You're about to air your dirty laundry on your team. How do you you're feeling not good? And and that's just because of line issues still and, and at lack of weapons. There, there's just it, it's not even so much the line issues, because when everybody's healthy, this is the top five offensive line in football. The problem is, is that everybody's getting up there in age. Lane Johnson's over 30. Ch uh, Jason Kelsey's been you know, flirting with retirement for three years. It's like, dude, make the move already. Like, yeah. what, what are you waiting for? Um, Brandon Brooks has been one of the top guards in the NFL, but every other year he's hurt. And, you know, that's why they spent a second round pick on Landon Dickerson out of Alabama, who has the ability not only to play guard, but also center. Is he the heir apparent at center? I don't know. They've they've uh, played around with Isaac Samalu at center as well, who is their starting left guard. So, I feel like that's going to be some combination going forward. We don't know what the hell is at left tackle right now. Jordan Maialata looked solid in, in filling in last year after uh, first round pick a couple of years ago. Andre Dillard went down with an injury. So they're going to have a camp battle. One of them's likely going to win the job. I think Maialata is probably more suited as a swing tackle if Dillard does win the job at left tackle. But honestly, I have no idea what this offensive line is going to look like and that in and of itself is going to hurt this team because again if everybody's healthy it's a top five offensive line it makes Jalen Hurts' job easier Miles Sanders has the ability to pop I mean even with a shoddy offensive line last year he averaged over five yards carry now he's got a roughly a full season hopefully we think of a running quarterback and Jalen Hurts behind a solid offensive line he has the ability to average close to five and a half yards a carry because this is a guy that has big playability 
at the position. So how's that going to work out in the future? I don't know. There's just, for me, there's too many variables that need to go right for this team. And that makes them so difficult to trust this year. Well, can we, I think the biggest thing then, because you're not making me feel good about some of the offensive pieces here, I'll tell you that much. And as somebody with a finger on the pulse, I'm going to trust your uh, judgment more times than not uh, when projecting this offense. But I want to talk about Jalen Hurts because I think Jalen Hurts is now shaping up to be a guy. Look, I know, I've heard the rumors about he's not their guy and they're, they're going to have him on a short lease. And that's true in Philly. They probably will. I mean, look at what they just did to Carson Wentz uh, as far as like getting him out of town. But Jalen Hurts, Talk to me if you believe that he is going to be a guy that can actually win leagues here, because I think you can get him late enough that like in the rushing upside, he showed that he's top 10 capable week in and week out. What do you, where's your take on, on Jalen hurts here, Josh? We talked about this last week. We had Matthew Betts from the fantasy footballers. Who's also a big Eagles fan on our show last Wednesday. And we, my whole, my whole point was I think Jalen hurts can be a league winner, but it's probably not for the reasons that you think. We talked earlier about schedule, right? Look at the Eagles' first, like, six, seven games this year. They're absolutely brutal in terms of where these teams finished last year, the quality of the defenses, et cetera. In three starts last year, Jalen Hurts, yeah, he averaged a lot of fantasy points, completed, what, 52.5% of his passes? Like, you went out and drafted the Heisman Trophy winner at 10 overall. Cool, awesome. Not every year is like last year where rookies pop and Justin Jefferson goes for 1,400 yards. Right. Like that, that's just not a thing. And it, it, we saw the same thing happen uh, a few years back with the 2014 draft class. Like OBJ popped, Mike Evans popped, the whole bunch of wide receivers from that first class popped. And then six wide receivers went in the first round, Nelson Aguilar being one of them. How'd that work out for us? Not great. I'm not – like discounting Devonta Smith. Like I, I love him as a player. I'm excited for what he brings to the table. And I think his presence will ultimately make last year's first round pick Jalen Rager better, but I don't know that it's going to improve Jalen hurts. You talk about quarterbacks. We want the rushing upside. He brings it hands down averaged. I believe it was a little over 12 rushing attempts in his three starts last year. So that's the type of volume that you want. But again, in a 17 game schedule, those types of quarterbacks are going to miss games. So it's not somebody that you can count on all year. Going back to that early season brutal schedule, you're going to have people that draft him as a top 10 quarterback realize that, oh, maybe he's not it. He ends up on waivers. And then when the Eagle schedule eases up towards the end of the year, that's when he becomes a league winner because you got him off of waivers. Johnny, do you have anything contrasting with that, uh, with that take? Or are you kind of on board with what, Josh is breaking down here with Jalen Hurts. 100% against what Josh is saying right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> with all due respect, Josh, uh, I, I hey, we listen, knew we had to get it hey, sometime. Uh, and here's here's the thing. I, I've been there. You know, I, I can relate to Philadelphia fans because as a, you know, as an Arizona fan, we have been hurt. We have been, uh, you know, had our, our really good hopes just quickly vanish. And, and we've had that happen more times than not. And I get it. There, you get real low, and, and it doesn't seem like there's any, any brightness on the horizon. I get it, Josh. But let me tell you. Oh, there's, there's plenty of brightness. We have oh, three first-round picks next no, year. No, I don't know what but, you're talking about. It, oh, <laughs> one of these franchises hey, has a Super Bowl. The other one hey, doesn't. It but no, starts. I mean, <laughs> well, that's okay. Fair Thank you hey, for that. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm just sorry. First of all. 
I'm not here to bash Philadelphia. I, I love I love <laughs> Philadelphia. But this is why I'm about to breathe some extra light, extra life into you. All right. Let me you we brought up just a second when I want to dive in there deeply. Okay. But you did bring him up early on the show, and and there's he's a hot name this year. Justin Herbert, he was he was pretty good last year, huh? Like when he came in, no one thought he was going to be good. And then he ended up being a pretty good fantasy quarterback. And, you know, people are drafting him high this year, right? Well, that offensive coordinator of the Chargers last year is no longer there. They got a new one. And that offensive coordinator, his name is Shane. We're uh, Shane. Uh, I, I Excuse me if I, I butcher his last name here. Yeah, Steichen. Shane Steichen. We're just going to call him Shane on the show because like, we're going to become good friends after he sees this clip. All right. Well, Shane is <laughs> been known to get the best out of his offensive weapons and his offenses. He uh, when he played for he he, he played for uh, not played for them, but he, he was the offensive coordinator, obviously, for the Chargers last year. We know what Justin Herbert did. And then you go back even years before that, he was the assistant to uh, to Wisenhunt. And he learned under Wisenhunt as an OC. And then they gave him the, the temporary after they fired him through the 2019 season. And he turned that offense around with Phillip Rivers. They've put up more points. All right. You look at what they all, you know, when you're looking at uh, Jalen Hurts in this situation, you want a, an offensive coordinator that tailors his game around his quarterback. And that's what he did last year with Herbert. And he'll do it this year with Hertz. Hertz has that rushing upside. He's He does have these extra weapons. Being able to put Rieger in the slot or, uh, you know, not as the alpha dog. They could move him either in the slot or he, he could be the uh, outside guy in two, in two receiver sets. He's the smaller guy. They're actually saying Fulgham could be that third guy now. And so when you're actually able to put Jalen Rieger in his actual spot and then put a guy like Smith in the outside, his ex-dominant wide receiver where he's normally used to playing, things are going to change. He's also going to see an uptick in uh, in completion percentage because he didn't have any weapons last year. They were literally asking Philadelphia fans to come try out for the team because they were so low on wide receivers. And when Josh, did you go to that tryout? <laughs> He, I live in Florida. Not oh, Florida. you missed oh, out. Dang, you missed out. That better. was your opportunity. You could have. <laughs> you could have been. Uh, what was that uh, Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver movie? You could have been Vince Papali. Yeah, yeah. you could have been the next Vince, but you missed out. Believe okay. me, I would not have been the next. <laughs> Vince. <laughs> but when you're looking at the at the weapons. Tell me he doesn't have good weapons right now. Like Devontae Smith, he was a Heisman Trophy. I understand. I'm not expecting him to come in and be a Justin Jefferson, but even if he's 80%, 60% of Justin Jefferson. It's going to be what 100% of Travis Fulgham as the number one wide receiver was, or Greg Ward as the number one wide receiver last year. And then you are and then you talk about Rieger, who actually did kind of put it, some things together, and they did kind of have a connection towards the end of last season. And so I do think with those corrections, with Jalen Hurts, he's produced his whole career. That's all he's done. He's always defined odds. I think I, I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts this year. I do think... And I'm not scared of this schedule. You you're talking about it's scary, Josh. Falcons defense number in week one. That's not that scary. 49ers, I'll give you that one. That one's scary. Uh Cowboys, not scary week three. Chiefs, week four. That could be that could be okay. Panthers, week five, not scary. Then you do get Bucks. That's a bad matchup. And then you have the Raiders. And then the Lions. Like those are 
out of what eight games I've mentioned there, those are six of them are pretty decent matchups. When you have three first round picks next year, you're, you're just hopeful. See, this is where it is. And you, you know, watch, it's that simple. You just they, they, you want you, you can stuff. sit here and make the argument that oh, we invested in Jalen Hurts because we spent a first round pick on a wide receiver. Guess what? They did the same damn thing last year with Carson Wentz. They invested in him. Hey, just, there is a short leash with Jason or with Jalen Hurts. They are not going into this season saying he is our future. They're right. going into this season saying he is our quarterback for 2021. That's it. Now, go out and prove to us that you are the guy. Two things that you're missing here. The first, Justin Herbert was a top six pick. That's why Shane yeah. uh, Steichen made things work. He was a top six pick. The league believed in Justin Herbert. Jalen Hurts was not a first-round pick. The league did not believe in Jalen Hurts, okay? But, I, but it had to off, do with – it had to do – the Panthers' defense is a lot better than people want to think, for starters. It, yeah, it will be a little bit better, but right. uh, well, we'll yeah, we could we'll we could debate the Panthers on a different show for sure. But I, I do like what Josh is putting down here about the league believing in them. I want to ask if fantasy football, you know, GMs can believe in Miles Sanders, Josh. I want to pitch it back over to you because I know you're fired up here, and I want to see what your take is on Sanders because in a lot of ways he was disappointing last year, but some of that is baked into his current ADP this year. Do we feel like we can draft him with confidence? How do you feel about? You know, you mentioned the line being up there in age, but if it is healthy, then we really probably like Sanders. Where, where do you feel like the Eagles land on Sanders and, and where can GMs uh, trust him? So with our look inside series team previews that we've been doing over at Club Fantasy, uh, go ahead and check us out. ClubFantasyFFL.com. Shameless plug. Um, Miles Sanders was unanimously our trust fault. And the biggest reason why is, first off, last year, yes, I understand it was a disappointment, but we were drafting him at his ceiling, right? We were drafting him at the potential that we saw from him. This year, his ADP has dropped to the point where you're drafting him at his floor, and he still has the same upside. We talked all year, 14 different offensive line combinations that the Eagles trotted out last year. It was hands down the most in all of football. Miles Sanders still averaged five yards per carry. Now you add in the fact that he's going to have a running quarterback. And I don't say running quarterback is disrespect to Jalen Hurts, but a quarterback who has rushing upside and the ability to take off and dominate as a rusher, that benefits running backs. Just look at J.K. Dobbins. Led the NFL last year among running backs in yards per carry. Guess who is his quarterback? Lamar Jackson. Arguably the best rushing quarterback of all time. And he's in a short career right now. Who was the only quarterback to rush for over a thousand yards in a season? And he, he's done it twice. And he he also went the last pick in the in the first round as the number six quarterback. Still a first round quarterback. Thank you very much, <laughs> Jalen Hurts. Still not a first round quarterback. Dak Prescott wasn't yeah. a, a first rounder. Believe in Miles Sanders. I understand the issues with Russell Wilson the, wasn't a the, first the round passing down work, work from last year. He had a very inconsistent catch percentage, but we saw with Carson Wentz, little things like that can get into your head. I don't have protection in front of me. I have to go win everything myself miles sanders sports psychology is a real thing and people need to understand this mental mm. health is a big thing it affects players the same way it affects us in our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. lives that gets into miles sanders head his rookie year there was only two players in the nfl that had over 50 catches and 10 yards per reception at the running back position it was austin eckler and miles sanders 
do not sleep on Miles Sanders. His current ADP is uh, running back 18 per uh, fantasy data. That's, again, that's his floor. That's his floor. He has RB1 upside. Yeah. You average five over five yards a carry, even if you're only giving him 200 carries, that's 1,000 yards. And then bake in the, 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 uh, the targets and the receptions and all that receiving work. And this team has come out and said, we want to use the screen game. That's why they spent a fifth-round pick on getting on Kenny Gainwell. One of these guys is going to have 50 targets. I bet that both of them have over 50 targets this year. Go get Miles Sanders. He is an RB2 that has RB1 upside. Yeah, I love I love I love the take here, Johnny. Did you want to add anything to what Josh is saying here on Miles Sanders? Yeah, I just wanted to add the when you're talking about, you know, the receptions, what's actually really interesting is you would think that, oh, when Carson Wentz was in, he would actually have more targets, uh, you know, as far as Sanders would have more targets. But actually, when Hertz came in, that was you actually saw like a one percent increase. I know it's not a significant amount, but he went from about 10 percent uh, target share to 11 percent target share, which is an increase. And then, like Josh said, you did see that added production because Jalen Hurts Hurts could also run the ball, and you did see that benefit uh, Miles Sanders significantly. I I do and that's think that's a big difference between Hurts and someone like Deshaun Watson, who instead of dumping it off to running backs, Watson decides, oh, I'm going to take it myself. Right. Jalen Hurts has the confidence to dump it off to his running backs and make those plays. He targeted the tight end position and the uh, the running back position quite heavily. Now again, I don't psychologically speaking i don't know if that's hey we're charting out grocery baggers and insurance salesmen at wide receiver right now maybe that changes now that he has devonta smith but you still have dallas goddard there i don't know what the hell is going to happen with zach Ertz. i still don't think he's going to be on the roster week one i didn't even bother statting out zach Ertz when i did the eagles projection but dallas goddard's in for a solid season at tight end you're going to see a tight end one product season from dallas goddard this year Johnny, well, that takes care of our Dallas Goddard take there. We love the Dallas Goddard uptake, and I love I love that you brought that up because I think it needs to be said. But, Johnny, why don't you make a case for anybody else in the receiving core here? We know that Devonta Smith is a popular pick in Dynasty because of grandfathered into probably wide receiver one roles off, right off the bat. How do you feel about him in redraft? Is he worth the stab this year? We know what it's like normally to be a rookie wide receiver in the league, but sometimes we can see some of the warning signs ahead of time that this you know person could look. This is some of the same, you know, not the exact same situation, but some of the same narratives in Justin Jefferson's case last year was that he was going into an offense with needs, with a, a big vein of, of targets and, and production to step into. He started rough, but he ended up being a breakout wide receiver. Do you see a similar path capable uh, for a Devonta Smith here in a breakout season. I do see a path because he should be that number one wide receiver. Now he is a rookie wide receiver, but what we have seen over the last couple of years is that these, you know, guys that are projected to be the, you know, one, you know, CD lamb, T Higgins, uh, Justin Jefferson, if the if the you know everything aligns you could have a magical season and that's why i do think it's it is i will have smith on some of my rosters this year because i want to uh, i don't want to miss out on that and i think his adp is fine enough to where i wouldn't mind throwing the dart throw in a couple of leagues uh but 
the other thing is I don't want to go into my draft being like, oh, I'll, you know, I'm just going to end up grabbing Devontae Smith as my wide receiver too, and I'll be okay because then you could be a little bit risky. I think he's more of a wide receiver three flex play for you. And and then there is some upside there uh, for sure, in my opinion, because we have seen that they do tend to, I do understand the targets. I want to say the targets of Ertz, he was, uh, you know, targeted to like 18% on this on on this team last year, especially with Hertz. So that needs to go somewhere. So give that to Devontae Smith. And we've seen that production translate over. Yes, Josh, you've been raising your hand. Josh, can can, can I say really quick yes. that wasn't this the same narrative for Jalen Rager last year? Yeah. The difference between Jalen Rieger and Smith is that uh, Smith is a little bit taller. He plays that alpha one role and Rieger never he wasn't supposed to be that alpha one. We all assumed because they didn't have any other weapons. And so that was our fault as well, a fantasy and that's industry. The point I'm getting at. We're assuming we're sure. assuming Devonta Smith couldn't beat out Jerry Judy, couldn't beat out Henry Ruggs. I mean, and just because he popped last year when Jalen Waddle got hurt, I'm not trying to discount what Devonta Smith has done in college, what he did, what he accomplished. I mean, you're talking about to, you're talking about beating saying, out fellow one number one wide receivers that were drafted in the first round ahead of him. So, like, it's okay, not like you're great. comparing and beating out players that weren't very good. I mean, well, what I'm I mean, getting at okay, is did if Calvin, he was really okay. that good, did Calvin Ridley? He wouldn't make a case because Henry Ruggs is overrated. I'm sorry, did Cal- the guy's a deep threat. That's it. That's it. That's all he does. He goes well, we deep. Can, He's got four two seven speed. Well, we can save that for another show. I mean, Alabama used him in a lot more creative ways than John Gruden did. So, like, that's a whole point in its own. Self, I also but, don't like. I mean, you can't really talk about Alabama and where he was, and as far as like falling in line, because. I mean, we see that at every position. I mean, look at years where it was like they had Alvin Kamara was their four, their fourth running back on the depth chart, and that that was their. That's how t- stacked they are. Like. It, it's Alabama. We lost. I think we lost your oh, volume here. No, Josh. he's just super mad. So he muted himself because he was cursing. Yeah, no, I was popping open my next drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's gonna need it. Yeah. He goes, yeah, no, yeah. no joke. Yeah. He's, Corey, we knew you were going to get Corey heated said in this you've one. been so, drinking too much coffee case, there, I Josh. Think, yeah. <laughs> I think um, I wanted to just ask you quickly, Josh. So if you're out on Devonta Smith, that probably means you're out on the likes of a Jalen Rager, a Travis Fulgham, or any of these ancillary pieces behind. You made your case for Goddard. We know Goddard should be drafted probably where he's going and, and has huge upside. Any of these other pieces uh, piquing your interest? Because right now, Jalen Rager's free for mm-hmm. a guy that we yeah. thought could be a deep threat. And I think, honestly, it's worth a stab to take a Rieger in the back end of drafts as, as a weak winner, especially in best ball, but like in redraft even too. Yeah, I mean we we've seen we've seen the slot be dominant in, in Philly, but we've also seen the slot be very effective in this particular offense. I mean, we we've seen Keenan Allen, right, guys? Yeah. Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah. He runs over fifty percent from the slot. If they're if they're legit on, hey, I'm gonna we're gonna move Jalen Rager to the slot, this is gonna open things up big time for him. And I think really he to me is the better value than Smith. I, I don't think First off, I'm not saying I'm out on Smith. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play and seeing him do well in Philly. Um, but I, I just, when you're a top 50, if your ADP is top 50 and you're a rookie wide receiver, I'm out. Plain and simple. Like, uh, to me, it's not even worth the stash at that point because by week three, they're going to be on waivers. I mean, just look, Justin Jefferson, prime example. Mm-hmm. They tried running him mostly out of the slot the first two, three weeks of the year. 
ended up on waivers. That was that. Obviously, we know how his season ended because they moved him back outside and things pop because that's an offense that they run two wide receiver sets because they're running 12 personnel more often than not. They're running the football. This offense is not going to do that in the sense that, especially with, with Ertz gone, I mean, Philly's been top of the charts in 12 personnel the last two, three, four years, if I'm not mistaken. But again, that's a completely different offense. Right. Now you're bringing in what really was the Chargers offense from last year. Right. They're not running 12 personnel near as much. Yeah. So Goddard's going to have the chance to be that Hunter Henry type role, but with touchdown upside because mm-hmm. he actually scores touchdowns. Hunter Henry hasn't scored since his rookie year. Well, and I just think Goddard's a better tight end prospect than Henry, too. Oh, absolutely. He's more athletic, but he's also more fragile. Right. For sure. We all saw the video of him. (laughs) 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 All right. All right. We'll let we'll let Josh off the hook and and talking so much more smack on his Eagles. And we're going to move on to the Washington football team to round us out here. Look, we need to try and figure out here for fantasy football GMs what the ceiling is of this offense in year two with Scott Turner and then also adding in Ryan Fitzpatrick here. And then we just have this other storyline of the fantasy football industry salivating at the thought of Antonio Gibson. We've had the toe issue come into uh, the spotlight over Twitter the last couple months, but this offense is exciting, uh, Johnny. And when we look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, he seems to be a guy that continues to go really late at the end of, of, of redraft leagues and, and that we have single quarterback leagues. But can you make me a case for Ryan Fitzpatrick here? Um, reaching some of the heights he reached at Tampa Bay or even, you know, um, uh, in New York as as not just a streamer, but maybe a value or, or, or like a, a very consistent streamer, I should say. I, I mean, we've seen this over the last few years, right, that Ryan Fitzmagic just puts up numbers, man. Like he, he just slings a rock. He, he knows that his days are numbered, so he plays like every game's his last. We We love him for it. I do think that he will help this offense. I think it'll he'll push the ball down the field. That's one thing we've consistently seen him do is push the ball down to his wide receivers uh, down the field. And he also has the rushing upside. Uh, so I do think that he is going to definitely be a guy that I'm going to be targeting as far as certain weeks during the season to be you know a, a bye week because I like to stream my quarterbacks from time to time on certain leagues. And, you know, when you're talking about his opening season or opening schedule, I think it's a little brutal. Chargers, Giants, Bills uh, are a little bit difficult uh, of a, you know, so I don't know if I'm going to want to stream them those first three weeks, but he's not a bad fallback plan. You know, like I've been taking him a lot or we've been noticing going really late in like super flex leagues because people kind of forget about him. And I think he's a great like QB two for super flex leagues. Uh, I, I love having him there because you have tremendous upside with him. Especially if you wait on QB, I think that's a good call. Mm. Josh, when we move over to Antonio Gibson, I mean, look, this is where it probably oh, starts. I don't get I don't get to. Do you want on Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, you want to. You got to go for it. I mean, I think we. I think we understand who he is. I think I, he's going to he's win games. Trap. He's going to lose you game. Yeah, a hundred percent. Hundred percent. You'll trap. probably never Don't get the right names uh, to start, but I think 
Um, I think what he can do for this offense is something that's a little bit more important. And so I will kick it to you over on Antonio Gibson because this is the guy that everybody, like I said, is salivating over in the industry. He's going in that second round. People are really excited about the potential. You're talking about a guy who was an ex-wide receiver in college, transitioned to running back, didn't get any passing game work last year, and now I feel like they were setting him up to really take hold of the offense. Do you buy into this hype for Antonio Gibson, Hudson? Oh, 1,000%. Give me all the Antonio Gibson this year. I'm all in. J.D. McKissick's a bum. He is one skill set. He He caught a bunch of passes last year. I mean, I kind of compare it to, like, when rookie tight ends come into the league. Like, they have to learn two roles, right? They have to learn the the blocking assignments that offensive linemen learn, but then they have to learn the route tree that, you know, most wide receivers have to learn, right? That's what you want out of your passing down back, right? Like you want a guy that can hit the the A gap, the B gaps, whatever, run the football, but then they need to learn pass protection and then they need to learn catching the football. We know Antonio Gibson knows how to catch the football. We know he has a nose for the end zone. He scored 14 touchdowns last year. Well, now he's had a whole off season and a whole year to learn the the passing down work. Let's not forget that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner came out right when they drafted Gibson and said, his skill set reminds us of Christian McCaffrey. We all laughed. <laughs> but it, we all but it, laughed, no, I know. Right? And then exactly. we saw it. And then we saw it. We're like, oh, and actually. And then we saw it. It's just similar. You, you hit the nail on the head, Travi. He was a former wide receiver in college. We know he knows how to catch the football. I don't give yeah, two 30, flying shits about the freaking turf toe injury. He's got 30, all the season to worry about that crap. Stay 30 carries, I think. Smart. He had 30 college carries. And then so what they did is, I thought it was really smart what Washington did. They said, look, we'll have McKissick be the version of you we see you being eventually, but we're going to give Gibson all of the work as a runner first. Let him learn how to run the yes. football. Exactly. And we're not going to put too much on your plate. And guess what? Next year, when you prove to us, which he definitely did, he proved he could improve pass blocking. He proved he could run between the tackles, make good decisions, use his vision. He proved all that. And then you said no's for the end zone. People are talking about how fluky this is yeah it's fluky if he's only a rusher next year but I, I don't believe that's going to be the case we've seen everything say that look they're going to unleash him and, and and fantasy gm should be really excited about antonio gibson going into this year another player that is really exciting i mean washington littered with some really exciting players here terry mclaurin he has to be this perfect fit wide receiver for fitzpatrick and then you look at uh, Curtis Samuel being added to the roster should help him avoid double teams uh, defensive attention. Johnny, I want to I want to say, you know, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, some of the guys going ahead of Terry McLaurin in drafts right now. Can you make a case for Whisper Nation or, or for yourself uh, to be drafting Terry McLaurin ahead of those guys, even with the addition of Fitzpatrick and some of what we talked about? Is it valid to take him over ahead of some of those guys? Brandon Marshall was pretty good, right? Yep. Um, we had a Mike Evans was pretty good, right? I mean, they, these are guys yeah. that were good on their own, right? But yeah, and sure. then Stevie yeah. Johnson, he was a pretty good wide receiver. I mean, decent, right? Yeah. All three of those wide receivers have one thing in common. They were the ex wide receiver for Ryan Fitzmagic. And what did he do with those? He gave them all over a thousand yards, just like a nice present. And that's exactly what's going to happen again this year with Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, people are sleeping on him. And Ryan Ryan will target him. We've seen him do this uh, with all of his number one alpha wide receivers. He does it in general with his wide receivers as opposed to his tight ends. But he, he does target funnel his number one wide receiver, and that will turn into production. We've seen on the, you know, the limited 
production and, and talent that they've had at the quarterback position that Terry McLaurin can produce on that level. Now give him a quarterback who can get, actually get him the ball and, and teams can kind of, they can't necessarily double team every single time on Terry McLaurin now because they've got some added weapons here. I, I do think that Terry McLaurin has a fantastic season. I think that people are sleeping on him. He will be a guy I have on a lot of rosters because I just love his value. I, you know, uh, someone had asked a question in the comments and it would be, it would be interesting to see what Josh thinks on this, but it was basically a, a trade that had around, you know, it was Terry McLaurin and, uh, and Justin Jefferson and to me, I think that I'm not saying that I think, you know, Terry McLaurin is definitely 100% going to score more fantasy points than Justin Jefferson. But I do think it's a lot closer than people think. Like, I don't think the talent separation of those two wide receivers is that significant. Terry McLaurin, to me, he's going to get his yards. He's going to get his catches. Fitzpatrick, he plays YOLO ball. That's what he's just going to chuck it. And, and we love it. There's nothing wrong with YOLO yeah, ball. It's great. Counts all the same as it's fantasy great. points. It's great. But I'm telling you right now, Fitzpatrick is so miscast for what Washington legitimately wants to do. Like they have a good defense and they need a game manager that's not going to turn the ball over. <laughs> like you, you want to talk about a guy that, you know, turns the ball over. I mean, when he was the starter in Buffalo and all those years that he was making like Stevie Johnson so great, it uh, 39 interceptions in two years. Yeah, like, he, he does that a and lot. And they didn't have near as good of a defense. Yeah. They didn't have no, near as good of a defense. I think there's but no that, question. That's the type that... of thing that comes that, – that, that's the type of thing that puts pressure on a defense. Like, you're going to put them in bad situations. And this defense is really good. Mm. I agree it's going to be fine for fantasy – and he has a long leash because they don't have somebody behind him that, you know, is going to like come in like, you know, well, he I had think it's in, all by design. I, Tampa, yeah, right? I think they wanted out of the QB market this year. They get him for a year. He's a stopgap guy. They get big, back into the QB market for next year. He's exactly. Yeah, what but they here's want the problem. How do you get back into the QB market when he's going to win just enough games to keep you out of it? You got to trade I mean, up. Like, sure. That's. Got to make yeah, well, and that's sure. the thing. Look, look what happened the last time Washington had to trade up to get a quarterback, it depleted all of their assets. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that they have a good defense, sure. And now you just have a point where, all right, we just need to like lock in everybody and sign the salary cap and all that crap, which we all know the salary cap's a figment of our imagination at this point. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know how Tampa kept all 22 starters on their field and how the hell Tennessee keeps adding. Pieces accounting and really, and really good accounting. New Orleans, really like good New Orleans. Right? Crazy. I want them as my accountant. God damn. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But here, the only thing that the biggest thing that I know with this team, Gibson's going to be great. McLaurin's going to be solid. I still think he's overdrafted. I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I think he's more of a mid tier wide receiver. So all those wide receivers that you mentioned, I would take those guys over McLaurin because for me it boils down to touchdown upside, and maybe Fitzpatrick gives it to him. Maybe he doesn't because we saw how much Gibson finds the end zone. When they get close, they're going to Gibson, plain and simple. They're not going to McLaurin. So McLaurin's going to have to – he's going to have to do the DJ Moore thing, right? This is the same offense that came from Carolina when DJ Moore first started. DJ Moore has never had more than four touchdowns in a season. How many did Terry McLaurin have last year? Four. I, I mean, believe four. four. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he you? was still – even still, he was the wide receiver, 20 wide receiver 20 on a PPR. Okay, that's not wide receiver one upside to me. But he didn't have – he, had, no, he had Alex Smith throwing him the ball. He was checked down I team. understand. He, he's had 
He's had trash cans yeah, throwing I mean, him the football. Yeah, what we're talking about. But we also about. have 15 years of Fitzpatrick saying that he's not much better than a trash can. Well, like, no, not necessarily, he's not a legit Josh. Starting quarterback. Josh, not necessarily for fantasy purposes, though. Maybe not a legit starter, but you said it yourself. They're not going to move to anybody else. And what we do know that Fitzpatrick Wait, has done. You guys done, talked about Brandon well, Marshall and all and these also, guys and Mike Evans, right? Yeah. Those were established players before. And Terry McLaurin is. Oh. And Terry McLaurin is an established, good, graded wide receiver. And not <laughs> yeah. only, and not tell, only. Tell me that he's going to have nine touchdowns. I'll pencil hold him on, on as a wide hold receiver. On, hold you on, hold on. You cannot do that in this on the same On the same level playing field that he made those guys productive in fantasy, there were always a number two as well. Yeah. So it's not like Fitzpatrick isn't a compiler of stats or that can push the ball down the field. He definitely can. With Brandon Marshall, he had Eric Decker as a wide receiver that was very valuable as well. With Mike Evans, he had I'm Chris Godwin. Samuel doing this offense in Carolina. I agree, but Curtis Samuel, I agree, but we have a guy uh, who That's can why I can't understand why the hell he went there. He knows what his stats were like. He can push the ball down the field better than anybody we've seen in that we're talking about in those offenses already. And I think that's the case here. He can compile stats and get the ball down the field for them. And honestly, the YOLO ball actually helps Fitzpatrick because it gets him more opportunities to continue to compile in games if he is losing them. Uh, we'll see how Ron Rivera deals with that as a play caller, but I think there's very good upside in McLaurin. I do believe, though, that there's a guy like Allen Robinson or Keenan Allen that I'm definitely drafting ahead of, uh, you know, McLaurin in these in, in these instances. But to, to argue that the upside isn't there, the touchdown upside is definitely there. And and to argue that it's the based two on best investments in this offense for me. I talked about it, Antonio Gibson, and people are sleeping on Logan Thomas. Well, he's going to play that Greg Olson role. Master in this of offense, the segue. Talk to going. me. Talk to me about Logan Thomas here and, and what, what how I, much he, you're he, in on he him. broke out last year. I mean, you want to talk about a 30 year old that's changing positions. It took him a few years to get it, but he found the right system for him. They're going to keep feeding him the football. This is what they did in Carolina with Greg Olson. The difference is Greg Olson is trained as a tight end. Logan Thomas is not. It took him a little bit, but they're going to keep feeding him the football. The, the, what's his ADP right now? He's like a low end tight end one. Right. Like everybody's reaching for like the upside guys because they think Logan Thomas is a fluke. L yeah, so let him fall. I will gladly take Logan Thomas as a 12th tight end off the board and be my tight end one. Fine by me. So do you think it's possible for this offense? I, I know you're not buying into a lot of the upside here. So do you think it's possible that this offense is going to support McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas? Or do you believe it'll be like a, a Logan oh, Thomas? No, Curtis, Tom Curtis Samuel Harry, is Harry nothing in fantasy for me. Nothing. Okay. And then, Absolutely Johnny, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask if you're still on the same Curtis Samuel uptick vote. I mean, we saw the picture of of Ryan Fitzpatrick coming out and saying his first day at school included Curtis and, and Terry as his best friends and all this stuff. And there's a lot of puff pieces about Curtis Samuel in the offense. And even though, as Josh said, in that same offense, Curtis Samuel wasn't very productive. But we've talked about the dual wide receiver thing, uh, and we've talked about how Fitzpatrick has pushed the ball down the field. Where are you landing on Curtis Samuel now that some of the dust is settled? Do you still buy into some of this hype here? I I buy in a little bit, yeah, because like I said, when you when you're it all for me goes to the quarterback, right? And and what Ryan likes to do and what he tends to do and where he goes with the targets. And like we said, you know, I brought up those wide receivers because not only were they the dominant 
one wide receiver and did they, you know, get over a thousand yards, over 140 targets. But then you look at the wide receiver two for him and he had guys like Eric Decker. He had guys like DeAndre Hopkins when he played with with uh, with Johnson and still garnered a top 20 season uh, for fantasy purposes. And then, you you know, you're you just keep going down the line. And he, and Ryan has done this year in, year out. People count him out. And so I just. I'm looking at it from that perspective. And then how much do I have to actually invest as far as ADP in order to get some of these players on my team? And I think Curtis Samuel, because his ADP is in the 10th round, people don't believe it. Some people are scratching their heads because like Josh pointed out, he didn't do anything for, for Carolina. And then you're going to bring him over and you're expecting a different role. And the only thing you can kind of bank on is like, Hey, it's, it's what Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitz does to his, his wide receivers. And at that point, it's worth the risk to me uh, for that wide receiver too, you know, in that 11th round, that's where you have to kind of take your, your gamble. If that's one of your dart throws, I won't have Samuel on a lot of rosters because I'm with Josh more than I'm, you know, then I'm not on that statement of like, yeah, well, he didn't do anything in, in uh, Carolina in that spot. So it does make me nervous. All right. So, I'm going to throw this out here, Travi, before before we move on. You guys keep talking about, you know, Marshall having Eric Decker, et cetera, right? Mm. Again, this is the Panthers offense. They feature the tight end. No, it's the Washington. They feature. I, I understand that. But it's the oh. former Panthers offense. Okay. Right, That's right. what I'm Scott getting Turner. at. Right. This is Scott Turner. This right. Scott Turner. He, exactly. This is the Norv Turner style offense, right? You mentioned Brandon Marshall. You mentioned Eric Decker. Who was the pass-catching running back on that 2015 Jets team when they were so good? It was Bilal Powell. He had 63 Powell. targets that year. Bilal Antonio Powell. Gibson is going to blow that out of the water. Yeah. What tight end were they throwing to in that offense? They didn't have one. Uh, Jeff Cumberland. Yeah, That's yeah. the point I'm getting at. So that is going to take away from those perceived 132 targets that Eric Decker had. This wide receiver, too, in this offense is the tight end. It is the running back. It's not Curtis Samuel. You have Terry McLaurin, you have Gibson and Thomas, and then you have everybody else. It's not about you have Fitzpatrick who looks done. at the tight end and says, screw it, I'm throwing it to Curtis Samuel. No, I'm just six, kidding. Th- I'm just Logan kidding. Thomas is 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> no, I understand. And, 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 no, and, hey, and when Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick stopped in Tampa Bay, he did have O.J. Howard. And he did have Cameron Brait, and he did show them some love but as well. Not, so, but yeah, but that's still not an offense that feeds the tight end. Absolutely, and we're going to have a marriage. It's not going to be exactly what Scott Turner wants, and it's not going to be exactly what Fitzpatrick wants. Want to bet? Well, we, we we're going to have a marriage. Stubborn and hard headed, they get their way. Yeah, hold on. We're, we're, we're getting well, hold on. We're, they, if they feel like they can go away from Fitzpatrick and, and go to somebody else on their roster, which I don't believe they can, then they'll go ahead and do that. We, but uh, we're, Taylor and, hey, we are t- <laughs> we are tending to forget. <laughs> we are tending to forget that he actually he had OJ Howard and, and Cameron Brait. He actually didn't go to them very often. It was when they switched to uh, to Winston that Winston started going to the tight end a lot more. And that's when OJ Howard and Brait started their uh, production. And it was a week to week thing saying, okay, if it's, it's, if Ryan's in you're you know, thumbs up for the wide receivers. If Winston's in, you know, you still have Mike Evans, but you also have uh, the they're now in play. And that's what you kind of saw. Cool. Now show me the track record of Bruce Arians actually throwing to the tight end position. 
I mean, we, we never had, we never had it. We never had it. I mean, Gronk, did they use Gronk last year? They did. Okay. Because yeah, he scored touchdowns. And then, and all right, well, I, would, he scored I, would, I can, I can let Josh and Johnny keep going on this argument, but we just want to thank Josh big time for coming on the show. This has been a blast. We wrapped up the NFC East in our breakdown here. I uh, told you we'd get into some disagreements. Yeah, of course. <laughs> great. Of course. It's always good when we do. Uh, it, we appreciate the content. We know Whisper Nation does. Let us know, Whisper Nation, what you think of uh, the NFC East. Who are some of your fla- favorite players in there? I know si- I saw JB, Corey, Kyle, all getting down in the comments. I dropped our discord channel so you guys can jump in there and head on over josh let the people know where they can find you and what club fantasy ffl is working on uh so you can find my personal twitter handle at the one hudsonian on twitter uh club fantasy ffl uh facebook twitter instagram uh we're constantly posting all kinds of stuff uh right now we're smack dab in the middle of our look inside series so we do three teams every week during the off season uh, we have articles from our team of writers that are up on the website, clubfantasyffl.com. We have our Wednesday show every week, no punt intended, at 7 p.m. Eastern. So I'll be on about two and a half hours uh, with my co-host, Ryan Weiss, uh, at the Fantasy 5 on Twitter, uh, Joe Zolo, at Joe underscore Zolo, who I know has been a guest on uh, Whisper Nation here previously. Same thing with Ryan. And we have uh, Jeff Hazley, um, who's with the football guys uh, coming on with us later this week or tonight, excuse me. We're previewing uh, Panthers, Lions, and Broncos. Uh, We're also gearing up towards our Women of Fantasy Football event, which takes up uh, the majority of August for us. It's a big charity event. We're going to have a different guest, a couple different guests on every week for four straight weeks, raising money for the Women's Sports Foundation to promote women in sports and and growing young girls uh, in sports and and making sure that they know and understand that uh, it's a place where um, they can do what they want to do and they shouldn't be ridiculed for it. So a lot of good things happening with us over at Club Fantasy. So feel free to check us out. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash Club Fantasy FFL. And I believe, Johnny, all those links and everything are in the description here. So we can go ahead and find Josh and, and the rest of the guys over there. Club Fantasy FFL. So Whisper Nation, get yeah, out right there, there and follow uh, them. Club. There you go. Yeah, yeah the we got it. I'll even um, change so, it. We can play Club Fantasy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Josh, we appreciate you. For Josh Hudson, Club Fantasy FFL. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, I'm Big Travi. We are the Fantasy Whispers. Peace. Peace. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whispers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whispers.